Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is over now. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. So we're going to look at this morning. There's three, just I think, elements of this passage. Three themes of this passage that, that I think just that I want to kind of use to tie up, to kind of tie the whole passage together. So we're not going to kind of go verse by verse, but just look at three different themes that we find in this passage. And the first thing that we see is, is Christ, Jesus Christ's example of compassion. We see Christ's example of compassion. So in verse 14, we see a picture of Christ, and He is filled with compassion. He sees a crowd in need, and what does he do? He responds by healing them and by feeding them. And so compassion was his, was his governing attitude, but it wasn't just an attitude of compassion. It really led him to the action of compassion, to, to feeding and to healing. He, he moved with, with compassion. And so Christ is now obviously right. He is the ultimate example of compassion in action, of, of selfless serving to meet real needs. He, he didn't just sort of feel sympathy for the crowd and sort of say, man, I really... Man, I feel bad for them. They're really hungry. Man, there's a lot of sick people here. And I, I, you know, I hope somebody does something, right? I mean, he, he, he has this, he has this, it's not just a sympathetic feeling. It's, it, he let that fuel his action towards them. So we need to acknowledge that there's something only Christ can do in this, right? That there's, that, that sort of feeding, and when you add sort of, most people believe when you add sort of the men and, or, you know, the men and you have the women and children that would have been present, there's probably about 25,000 people or so that are in this crowd. And, you know, there's sort of some, we just need to recognize only Jesus can do this, right? You know, take the five loaves, take two fish, and sort of feed 25,000. Only He can do that, right? Not even Chick fil A with like the triple drive through. Like, they can't handle sort of this, this thing. But, the, but there is to recognize that, that His compassion, which, which, to recognize how His compassion that has been poured out on people, how His compassion has been poured out on us, should, should fuel our own compassion, that we should be those who also offer compassion to others. So, those of us who are primarily about following our leader while we are on this earth, we can, like him, move towards those who are in need. That we should let an ethic of compassion for the needy lead the way. And make sure that our ethic of compassion isn't just sort of warm feelings and sympathy, but tangible action. Christians are those who should follow after Christ and look to alleviate suffering and to meet real needs in the world around them. There's something distinctly God-honoring and that points to Jesus when we act in this way, when, we, when one gives to something like the Benevolent Fund or a food pantry or to a homeless shelter or serves with a group like Habitat for Humanity, when one opens their home to foster care, when one literally breaks bread with and for the needy, when one spends their life studying and applying in a laboratory to figure out how to break down cancer cells. So, so others can live healthier lives, or when one works on a vaccine so viruses don't spread to the most vulnerable, or they spend their lives on the front lines in some way as, as those who are strong to help protect the weak. When one pursues justice and equity, when one fights for fair laws and for fair housing, when 
one gives voice to the voiceless unborn, and one helps give voice and attention to any who have been wrongly marginalized around them. And one visits the sick or sits with the hurting. And one makes sure to be a present and safe place for the broken. And one affirms not just the goodness of compassion, not just the idea of compassion, but moves towards it and acts in compassion. It follows the example of Jesus Christ. It's easy to sort of click the light on on the idea of compassion. It's another thing to to move towards those in need. Praise God, he didn't just look at humanity in need and agree, yep, yep, agree with the notion of compassion, but I hope somebody's compassionate on them, but but work towards it to fulfill fulfill all our needs and to fulfill our greatest need, that, that God... God just didn't offer humanity his sympathy. But he himself sent his son into the world. He himself didn't just give out of the excess, but he, he gave in the most profoundly sacrificial way for in compassion to the world. And so as followers of him, we are called to act in compassion after his example to sacrifice time and money and convenience to, for the good of those around us. So, he is our example in compassion. But I also want to be clear that this passage is not primarily that we can emulate him, but primarily that he is more than man's example, that he is man's only hope. So the second thing I want to look at this morning, he is man's only hope and he is really ultimately our only provision. So the second point I want to look at this morning is Christ's full identity. Christ's full Identity. So one of the things I like about this passage is that both his humanity and his divinity are on display. And what I mean by that is, is that the Bible very clearly teaches that, that Jesus Christ, is, and it's something that it, the Bible clearly teaches, yet it's hard to get our minds around this idea, is that Jesus Christ is fully God and he is fully man. He is 100% of each. And we get a glimpse of that in the, in the passage this morning. Now we're not going to in our time form, we don't have the ability to sort of expound upon that notion and sort of give a full teaching on that. But just recognize that Jesus Christ can represent humanity because he is a person. He can relate to us because he is man. He can sympathize with our weakness. He has been tempted in every way, yet without sin and without shortcoming. And he has extraordinary power. He has the full power of God. He is mighty in every moment. He is sovereign over all. He is He is the God who is complete control of the universe at all times, and he's both together. And in this passage, again, we get a glimpse of of both. We get a glimpse of his humanity. In this passage, this passage immediately follows the the previous two passages, one where he was rejected by his own people. He was rejected in his his hometown. And right after he heard the news that his forerunner, John, was unjustly and cruelly murdered, and coming right off the heels of that, verse 13 tells us he wants a moment alone. Now, verse 13 doesn't tell us why he wants a moment alone, though I don't think I'm really speculating to say that he wanted a moment to mourn and to, to pray. He, he knew that John's death was a clear foreshadowing to his own, that he was going to unjustly and cruelly suffer and die die for the people that were abandoning him. I think what he does next is made more poignant because he wasn't simply God, but he was fully man. This is a man who was suffering. 
This is a man in real pain. A man who knew that the same crowd who now gathers to admire him will one day soon enough gather to destroy him. And yet, who he is is he sees humanity in need. He sees humanity and he has compassion and he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And he sees herding sheep. And so he heals the sick and he feeds the hungry. And he shows that he is all powerful. That he takes this he takes this tiny amount. He he takes this tiny amount of food and, and he feeds between you know, again, between the men and women, so there's about twenty five thousand people. There's, there's no cheat code that he had, there's no sort of there's no magic trick that this is. This isn't some illusion that he does. This is he makes material out of immaterial, he makes non existence into existence. The hand of God providing all that was lacked and that was needed. In verse 20 informs us, it wasn't just that there was enough. It says all ate and all were satisfied. Basically, there's enough excess to just do it all over again. He just, he just overwhelmed them with his provision. He, he created something out of nothing. This is the all-powerful, all-sufficient Jesus Christ, fully God, able to supply all that man lacked. He could create material out of nothing. He could create existence out of nothing. He's done it before because he is God, and it was very clear. What's very clear is you don't have to sort of speculate, what is this really symbolic of, right? What is, his, what, 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 what is he trying to be symbolic of in this passage? That day, thousands and thousands of people had, had a visible and tangible and verifiable and even edible attestation to the identity of Jesus Christ. They came sick and they left healed. Thousands came hungry and left full because Jesus Christ is fully God and he literally, they were literally fed by the hand of God. I read somewhere that this, is, that this passage is a, is a good example of how life in the kingdom works. That there's a kingdom principle of, you know, we, we bring our part, we bring the fish and the loaves and, you know, and, and he does the rest. And I just thought, I, are you kidding me? Like, this is the lesson? Like, this is life in the kingdom? Like, the disciples aren't helping in this passage, right? Their contribution has been, you know, Jesus is really late. Um, they need to go now, right? I mean, that, that's sort of, that, that's been their role, is like, sort of just like, yep, yeah, please send them away. And they've just been doing a lot of complaining. Like, that's sort of been their role to this point. I, I, I relate to the disciples. I mean, like, I, um, Y'all probably, many of you would know my friend Nikki Connolly. Nikki is a pastor in church that I was part of for a number of years. And I really learned a lot about pastoring from just his example and his investment in my life. But one of the things I really love that Nikki does is, you know, we'll be at his house and, you know, church meetings or cares or whatever it is. And he'll say, yep, do whatever, you know, house is always open. But he's basically at 9 o'clock, you have to, like, he's going to bed. And so at 9 o'clock, whatever's going on, people will be pouring out their hearts, people will be crying. He just gets up and turns out the lights, and that you, you have to go home. But I'm going to bed. You know, I mean, there's just kind of this like he just he just goes to bed and sort of like I'm I'm done with my day. And I really did think, man, one of my dreams is to get to that point, like where I just like I'm done. Uh, I'm I'm good. You know, like I, I it's just, I get the disciples, right? Like I, I understand, like yeah, it's late. I'm I'm hungry. Like I'm they're done. They're done for the day. But, it's, but the disciples didn't do anything here, right? They, they found a couple of pieces of bread, they found a couple of pieces of fish, and they complained a lot. That was the role the disciples had. And I think, yeah, that actually is a good example of how life in the kingdom works, isn't it? God working despite 
the weakness of his disciples. Having disciples that are missing the moment and a Christ who is the perfect shepherd through it. This miracle is told in, in all four Gospels. This is actually one of only two miracles that are told in all four Gospels. All four Gospels, which I think highlights how significant this moment was for, for the New Testament writers. Now, one miracle that was told in all four Gospels is the resurrection of Christ, which proves his power over death, which gives all who follow him victory over the grave. And the other miracle told all four times is this one. One that just verifies again and again, shows to thousands of people, which verifies to thousands of people in real time, Jesus Christ is fully God. He is the shepherd who supplies for all that we need. He is the creator. He is full of compassion. Jesus Christ is the God who is fully God, and we can place all of our trust and all of our faith in him. This passage points not, though, how he simply provides for our physical needs. But this passage also points to all we lack, all we lack in our humanity, all we lack in our sin and brokenness. We see him not just physically supply. We, we do see him in a very literal way in this passage, physically supply for a physical need. But Matthew also wants us to be aware that this passage is clearly pointing to how he supplies all that we need. Not just for life here and now, but for all the ways that we have been broken by the fall. So the third thing I want to look at this morning is Christ's sufficiency for us. Christ's sufficiency for us. So this passage has literal miracles, right? It has healing. It has feeding thousands. He's creating food to feed those thousands. He is quite literally being provisioned for his people. But Matthew is also using a lot of intentional imagery to make sure we understand the ultimate provision that he really is. That he is not just sufficient for sort of the daily need of something physical, but he is sufficient for our greatest need. The image Matthew is, is, is painting is, is, is that there, there, there's this group of people, thousands of people, sort of just now wandering in a desert, wandering in this wilderness. Now, it's not a desert of sand and cacti, but this is a, a, a place out in the middle of nowhere. It, it, it's a desolate place, right? It, it's close to a village or two you could kind of make out, but even... The, the villages are so small, they're not even prominent enough to even be named in, in the gospel. They're just, they're in the middle of nowhere. And it makes clear, like, how many times does it mention, this is a desolate place. They keep making reference, this is just, this is out, we're just, where are we? How are there 25,000 people in sort of this, this open field with nothing around them, is, is the picture that he's painting. So Matthew's trying to paint this picture of a desperate group of people wandering around a deserted place with, with no provision, in need of one who would provide for their daily needs, to basically say, does that, does that remind you of anyone? Does that remind you of a scene that maybe you might be familiar with? Any other people that have been wandering around in mass just needing provision for their daily needs? The author is quite intentionally trying to paint the picture that Jesus Christ is the great fulfillment. In the Old Testament, God made promises and God gave partial fulfillment. In Jesus Christ, God has kept his promises and he has given and he's given sufficiently for all that we lack. And what the Old Testament points to, Jesus fulfills. And it's meant to paint a picture of bread literally, miraculously appearing to, 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 to feed the people of God as they wander in this place. Nothing less than the hand of God feeding the people of God. He's trying to just draw all these parallels to, to, to Moses and this wandering. And say, Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than all Moses pointed to. 
see time and time again in the lives of Elisha and Elijah, just sort of provision just being stretched and stretched and stretched and just a little bit being stretched out and stretched out and, and somehow being just enough. And these prophets would point to a future day when there'd be full provision and it wouldn't just be enough, but there'd be an overwhelming provision from God for His people. We see events like we see, we, we see events foreshadowed in the prophets now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Matthew is making very plain that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than all that came before. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. He is the fulfillment of all we lack. He is sufficient for all that we need, for, for daily provision, but for so much more, for our ultimate need. Matthew, I think, wants to show us that we, we are like those who are sitting in the wilderness that day. We are in need of nothing short than the hand of God to provide for us. That we are a people dependent, and Jesus Christ is sufficient. Sufficient to be the one even this miracle pointed to. And in a few more chapters in the book of Matthew, Jesus Christ will once again give thanks and give a blessing and thank God for provision and break open bread again. And say, this bread is my body broken for you, bearing the wrath of God sufficient for your sins. Because Jesus doesn't just point, ultimately point to the fulfillment of what we need. He is the one who is sufficient for all of our needs. If you don't know Jesus Christ, or if, you, if you're maybe new to your Bible, I think sometimes people read the Bible and they try to make sort of a, a, an allegory or something, or what's this really, okay, what, what's behind the thing? What, what's it really symbolic of? And I, one of the, probably the worst sermon I ever heard in my life, um, I remember it very distinctly, was by a guy who, where I was on a spring break trip, I was on a Habitat for Humanity trip, and the whole crew stayed in this, we stayed in this church where they, you know, kind of fed us and had clothes us and all this kind of stuff. And it was, Big church, probably a thousand-person church, and the speaker. Um, and we, we went to that church on, a, on Sunday morning. And, and he, the preacher was, I mean, he was eloquent. He could, I mean, all the technical parts of preaching, I mean, he, he just crushed, right? I mean, he was very learned. I mean, all the stuff you'd want sort of, um, sort of, you know, the eloquence, just sort of his delivery. I mean, it was all as good as can be. But he made this point. He said, you know, the thing you need to recognize about this miracle is this miracle wasn't a literal thing. But what it really points to is how Jesus showed us a better way. And so what happened was Jesus was this selfless example. And what he, what he inspired people to do was all share all their things, all bring their food to the table. And by this point, everybody shared. Everybody shared enough and that, that, that everybody had enough. And there was so much left over. And isn't, that, isn't Jesus just such an inspiring example of how to live? I was a new Christian at that time. I'd been saved about a year. And my heart broke. And that, that's reserved by a thousand people listening to this, thinking, Jesus is our inspiration. Jesus Christ is not our inspiration. Jesus Christ is our salvation, and he is our only hope. His sacrifice is not our example. It is the one thing that stands between us and the very real and deserved wrath of God. If you look to Jesus Christ, sort of, boy, boy, isn't he the example of sort of humanity at its best, or what we can all be? 
they don't see Jesus Christ at all. We are inherently broken. We are inherently those, we are by birth those who are objects of God's wrath because of our sin. And Jesus Christ is born the wrath of God for us. Jesus Christ is all that we lack. He is sufficient for our for every sin we have ever committed and welcomes us into fellowship with his family, not because he showed us the way and if we just do what he did, we can come into. No, he, he, he invites us into his family by trusting in him, by trusting that he bore our wrath, the wrath that we deserve. So if you turn from your sins and place your faith in him, you too can be in fellowship with God himself. So I would implore you to come to Jesus Christ in faith because he is sufficient for all your needs. And for those of us who do know him, I think this is an invitation to come to Jesus Christ again in faith, sufficient for all of our needs. And he is the God who is the ultimate example of compassion because he pours out his compassion on us. We can then pour it out on others. We, we recognize that he is the God of all power, that he is fully God, that he is, he, is, he is able to do anything. He is the God of infinite power. There is no limits to what he can do. And so I would simply say, we should be those who come to him in faith again and again and again, that we should be those who bring him our needs. He is the God who, who cares about our greatest need, who cares about our greatest need by, by taking the wrath that we deserve and by dying on the cross on our behalf. And he is the God who cares about our smallest need. To every person there, he, he made sure they had enough food to eat and go home full that day. He cares about the greatest needs and he cares about what seems to be the smallest needs. So let's be those who bring our needs to him. Let's be those who bring the needs of others to him because he is full of compassion. He is the God who, when he sees needs, he moves towards them. He asks whether they be big or small, and he is full of absolute power. So let's be those who not just bring him needs, but be expectant of him to ask. Let's be those who come in faith, believing him capable of answering every prayer we pray, of, of ruling the whole world and keeping it all together and worrying about every detail of every life. And as he hears our concerns, he is apt and able to move towards our concerns. So he is sufficient for all we need, especially for our greatest need. So let's be those who expect him to act because he is the God of all power. So let's be those who come by faith to him again and again and again. Worship team, if you can, if you can come forward as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ not to simply be our example, not just to show us a way but to be all that we needed. But we didn't simply lack an example where we had no ability to follow it. So thank you for Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, who bore our sins upon himself, and who now rules over every, every affair of every life, every detail, big and small, who rules with absolute sovereign control. We thank you for Jesus Christ. May we be those who bring to you our needs through him again and again and again, expecting you to act with sovereign power and care, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.